Welcome to the Immigrant Stories Program. I'm your host, Walter Gallagher, and my interview today is with Bob and Mary Noon. It's an interview from the archives back in 2010 when they were honored as Citizens of the Year for the work they've done in the community. In August of this year, Mary died after battling Parkinson's. Some would say to a draw. She fought for 30 years. Her strategy was largely to ignore the disease and let the good times roll. And roll they did, and Claire, her daughter, said it best. Claire said, in her 66 years on the planet, she'd raised three kids who, like her, are each uniquely wild, adventurous, and untamed. She painted mountains, rivers, flowers, dogs, and forests in colors she taught us all to see. She was well-loved and loved well. Indeed. Mary gave us her art, but she also gave us music. She and Bob conceived of the Summer of Jazz program and brought many of us music we'd never heard before through a program that lasted 25 years. Here they remember how Summer of Jazz started. Well, we landed here in 1981. We came to the valley for the summer, just to be here for the summer on our way back. We were going to move back to Washington, D.C. and be part of the family business, and we decided that um, we just needed one one summer. We wanted to have some fun one summer, so we ended up coming here, and we lived in Carbondale, and had I painted a house, and Bob worked at um, Delaney and Balcom, a law firm, and um, we just had so much fun. We loved it so much. We had such a great time. We were when we left. We went back to California, where we were in law school, and it was we had our heads down when we left. We were very sad to leave, and then we decided to come and move here. We we just had to move here. We had found a house in Glenwood in 1984. We moved to Glenwood in '84. So, did it feel like you were going to stay forever, Bob? That was my intention and and Mary's too but everyone else seemed to be pulling us in the other direction every time we'd visit home back east people would ask okay you know you've you've had your Colorado stint you know when are you going to come back east to Washington DC you know where you belong and practice law there and we just kept you know, regaling our families with the stories of our life in Colorado. And they finally had an epiphany that, you know, they're staying in Colorado after about 10 or 15 years, you know, that we were, you know, we were committed to stay here. And much of it had to do with the connections we made shortly after moving to Glenwood Springs in 84 and beginning the jazz series. You know, we just were connected with so many new different people and we just felt part of the community and uh, that's that was really one of the the primary incentives we had for starting the summer of jazz was to create a place that was free and open to the public midweek where families could come and socialize get to know one another and hear some good music at the same time and it, it worked well a lot of people would just uh join a, a club or something, but you decided that you would bring this amazing project to fruition. It was kind of ridiculous to start the first season. We did 10 concerts, which was a very ambitious thing, but it was. Uh, it turned out that it was so fun to have the 
people coming from out of the community, these uh, musicians that would come to town that had such a rich history, they had such a rich culture that they were bringing with them. It was just great. It was great to have it. Was it always going to be a, about jazz? No. The first season we did, we had um, 10 different types of music. We had um, we had jazz, we had blues, we had bluegrass, we had classical, we had um, we had a horn, classical flamenco horn, flamenco guitar, flamenco dancers. We had all these different kinds. And we figured that the jazz was the most conducive to community, to just to the, the give and take of the, the audience. The audience was much more involved in jazz. And it's not as, as um, it's more inclusive. It's, it's just, it makes you feel like you're part of the deal. Yes. Well, and also the, um, when we first got started, the whole thing of having um, different things going on. And it was like the first time, it, first year, we got seven of the 10 were rained out. They had to be inside. But when you went to look for, remember you were looking for music, they put us through to the Denver Musicians Union and there was one musician we could have, and they wanted us to have it for all 10 weeks. Yeah. We're like, I don't think yeah. this is going to work. So we had to, uh, from the beginning, we really had no idea what we were doing, but it was a lot of fun. Well, you did and you didn't. I mean, you had these these basic skills, and you knew you, what, what you wanted to do. In a way, I, I, it seems to me it was it's like improvisational jazz. Right. I mean, you, you, had to, you had to run this program, this show, by the seat of your pants, and in a way, it really fits with improvisational jazz. Well, it was definitely by the seat of the pants. I mean, it was every every week. It was uh, touch and go. Whether um, we had a lot of sponsors, we had a lot of. You know, as we went along, we ended up with something like two hundred sponsors by the end. But it was uh, it was always there was never a whole lot left in the pot at the end of the series. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Immigrant Stories program. Bob and Mary Noon are reflecting on their years with producing Summer of Jazz. In August of this year, we lost Mary Noon after her 30-year battle with Parkinson's. The Summer of Jazz program was one of only many gifts that Mary gave this community and the Valley. Well, one of the things that amazes me is that you had two children. that You, you were birthing the jazz, and you were... You had kids in diapers. I, I, it just amazes me that you were able to do that. Well, it's the kind of thing that we've, uh, I've said this before, I felt like when we moved to Glenwood Springs, it's like we showed up late to the party. Everybody knew everybody else, and we didn't really have any, we didn't know anybody. And it, so it was the kind of thing that was a great way to get to know people by um, every week getting out there. And, well, and, and it, turned, it turned out to be not only a family affair, but a, a community affair. You really captured the spirit of people, so you you had people who started to get it, myself included. Well, it was just it was fun every week to know, and in the beginning of the season, you'd see the new crop of babies that would come out, and it's like, okay, who's got a baby and who's pregnant, and it was just really it was wonderful. It was a wonderful thing. Well, I spent a little time on the reservation, and and it's kind of like I, I I thought about it sometimes. It was like a powwow, you know that. People in these these various clans would go away, and then they'd come back in the summer, and they'd yeah. party. And yeah. a, a summer of jazz was like that. You'd see people you hadn't seen all winter. 
Yeah, that's right. And it was it was always like you're, it was like a family. And, and people would materialize. You know, the volunteers would materialize, and there would be people manning the t-shirt table. And you know, Jeff Isaacson would be there every week with his Italian ices, and he would just set up. You know, Bill Flanagan, and before him, John Rigger, the sound guys. They would show up just magically the f- morning of the first concert every year with crews and they'd start building the sound system and you know maybe we had spoken to them once over the winter about you know are we going to do it again this coming year yeah we've got a tentatively get to set to start the first week after school is out um so unless you hear otherwise please be there and they were always there the first year we spent in centennial park down at the corner of ninth and grand where the farmer's market is held these days um but um the summer of 1986 we moved to two rivers park uh where the band shell had been constructed again a community volunteer effort the materials were all donated by you know various lumber yards architects dean moffett among them contributed their design skills builders uh, contributed labor and they built this band shell as a tribute to those who had lost their lives the previous winter in the West Glenwood Natural Gas Facility explosion. There were 12 longtime members of the Glenwood Springs community who passed away in that explosion, and the community got together and decided we wanted to build a living memorial to them that would be a, a place where the community could celebrate life. And the Two Rivers Bandshell was the result. And we were so proud of it, having the first concert in Two Rivers. Mary and I were just, you know, golly, Ma, look at that. We, we actually have a stage as opposed to a bunch of pieces of plywood that we just laid on the grass the previous year in Two Rivers in uh, Centennial Park. Well, and, and the town really needed music at that time, I'm sure. Hey, Mary, t- tell me a story of improvising a, a time when you went, oh, no, we have to do something different and we have to do it quickly. Oh, my stars, there's so many of them. One of my favorites was when we had um, Hugh Masekela came from uh, South Africa. We was the first, the first time that he played in the states was in Glenwood Springs, which was pretty amazing. They came because apartheid was lifted, and it was 1994. Was that when it was? It was the year that Nelson Mandela yeah. was released from prison in South Africa. The year that apartheid was lifted, was and the very first year that Nelson Mandela, that Hugh Masekela famous South African jazz trumpeter um, who would, was sponsored by Doc Severinsen, Johnny Carson's Tonight Show band leader. Doc Severinsen would sponsor Hugh Masekela's visits to the United States and thereby sort of circumvent um, South Africa's prohibitions against black South Africans traveling internationally. Doc Severinsen brought him and sponsored him and provided musicians to back him up. We'd been trying to get Hugh Masekela for about 10 years to play in Glenwood Springs and had made contacts with his agent in England and London a and number of times. And then we had the NPR was um, doing the, was going to was going to broadcast it on their, what was it, jazz set, um, which is a national program they're going to, so they came and they we had the whole thing set up and we had the park was ready and we had and the, at that time the show started at six thirty and we got a con- communication from the band they flew into Chicago and they had their sense of uh, geography was a little off they thought that Chicago was like a hop step and a jump from Glenwood Springs 
So they had this ba- this bus with uh, in the bus they had everything. They had all their drums, and it was like that. It was it was this major thing. So the bus is coming, and they um, Marilee Rippey was our director at the time, and she and Bob were on the stage trying to keep people keep the crowds going, and they were telling jokes and stuff like that for about an hour. And the and they, it was like six thirty, and they still had not come. They had not arrived, and so I went out and I stood on the corner of uh, the exit ramp coming off I-70 so that when they came, then I could just get on the bus and get them right over to the park so they wouldn't have time, you know, getting lost. How do we get over there? And I waited out there for, God, forever. Yeah. It was awful. I was out there, and then I you saw You and the, Claire, who was five at the time. Yeah, Claire was a little tiny baby. Awaiting the arrival of this bus. And waited for the bus, and we're sitting out there, and they came, and it's like, we finally got it. So I got on the bus, and I said, okay, let's go. I started to tell them where to go. And I think they were very they were very uncomfortable having a a white woman. I mean, it was very strange. They just, I mean, I was not allowed to talk to the band. I had to stay up in the front, and then so we got over to the bus. The bus got over to the park, and... Everybody in the crowd, or a large part of the crowd, came to try to help them unload the bus, and they were freaking out. They didn't know what was going on. All these people are, are, came and were um, helped set up, and so um, it went. We went on. Probably got on probably by about seven thirty or something. The concert started, and it was uh, it was wonderful. But it was it was an unusual unusual way to. We have Start the things. NPR master tape from that performance. And again, this was the first audience of, of white listeners that this South African band had ever played before. And they were um, they had gotten their travel visas and played a performance in Kingston, Jamaica, their agent explained to me, to a largely black audience, then got like on Saturday, got on the plane on Sunday, flew to Chicago, thinking that Chicago was a hop, skip, and a jump to Glenwood Springs, Colorado. Um, The road manager was from Durban, South Africa. I mean, he hadn't left Durban, South Africa before either because of the travel restrictions. Um, The band of 12 members had never been outside of Durban, South Africa, had never played to white audiences. When they arrived, it was incredible. You could sense sort of the cultural disconnect that these band members had in facing this Glenwood Springs audience. Um, but it made for amazing music. Hugh Masekela at halftime talked about freedom. And that was one of the most moving halftime talks we had ever heard in Two Rivers Park. It was just phenomenal. He spoke about you know years of being virtually imprisoned in your own country by by reason of the color of your skin, nothing else, and that now there was a new dawn rising over South Africa and how excited they all were. It was really something else to witness and it be a part something of. Something else that was amazing, <clears throat> and then there you know just all all kinds of things like that happen. I mean, it's every every time, and then there was. The- or there was like the Dee Dee Bridgewater. She was a good one too. When yeah. We had her come. She had just won a Grammy, and it's great. We had already we'd already signed her before the Grammy, so we got her. That was pretty neat. And she, I remember it was the first day. Of, it was the first day of summer, June twenty first, and it was snowing, of course. <laughs> and uh, her manager, who's who was French, her husband was her manager, who's very French, and he's yelling and screaming about how she can't possibly go on because. 
you know, her voice, she can't, you know, she has to be protected. We can't ever do this. It's crazy. And so I remember going back into my closet and I had all these handmade uh, Angora sweaters that my sister had made me. And I got them for her, and so she had this, was wearing my sweater, and there she is up there singing, and it was a wonderful concert. This but is it was very wild. cosmopolitan. But it wasn't until the last second that we thought, we didn't know if she was going to go on. Because she's like, I can't do this, I can't do this. And then finally it's like, all right, I'll do it. Right at the last minute, it's like, oh, God. <laughs> Give me some of the, you know, the palette that uh, that you used, all of the different colors. I'll drop some of the names of of some of the, the greats, the jazz greats that came through here, just back and forth. Joe Pass and John Ricker still has Joe Pass's cigarette butt. Cigar butt. Yeah. Cigar butt. He got his DNA on that. Sonny Rollins, um, Lewis Hayes, McCoy Tyner, Ahmad Jamal. Jeez. Um, Didi Bridgewater. Didi, Didi Bridgewater, Mario Grigorov. Yeah. Um, uh, Alan Toussaint. Alan Toussaint. He was awesome. Wild Magnolias. Wild Magnolias, yeah. Terrence Simeon. Trombone Shorty. Multiple times. <laughs> I love that Shorty guy. Yeah. But, so, uh, did you have a, a jazz connection before uh, Katrina? Can you yes. talk about how yes. how that... Well, we did, have, we did have, every year we'd have, Katrina happened in 2005. And up until then we'd have, like, we had John Cleary and we had Leroy Jones and we had... Just different musicians from New Orleans who were always every year we'd have Terrence one. Blanchard, yeah, yeah, we had, we had yeah, thirty dozen brass band, thirty dozen early rebirth, on. we had rebirth Kermit Ruffins, we had them before, and every time we'd have a a New Orleans concert, they were just so wonderful. I mean, it was just like it was so fun. They just it was just so fun, and you thought, God, this is great. So after Katrina, we were we were driving down from Carbondale, and we we're listening to Prairie Home Companion, and Dirty Dozen was on. And we thought, God, we've got, we've got to bring, we got to do something for these people. I mean, they're so great. It seemed that the, the whole culture was just so hurt, and wounded, and everything was. All the musicians were getting split up, and they were all going all these different places. We thought we got to give them some work. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Bob and Mary Noon as they remember watching Hurricane Katrina consume New Orleans. Mary and Bob immediately hatched a plan to help. They called and donated a car, and the couple who received the car returned the favor the following summer and invited Bob and Mary to be their guests at the New Orleans Jazz Fest. By then, Bob and Mary had hatched a plan to try to recruit as many of those musicians to come to Glenwood Springs for the summer of jazz. That first weekend in Jazz Fest, we made a point of chasing down every musician we possibly be interested in having come to Glenwood Springs just to get a roster of people who would be willing. And out of that list, we put together eight weeks of New Orleans music, including on the 4th of July, Terrence Simeon and the Zydeco Experience um, from Lafayette, Louisiana, playing the first half of the concert. The second half was the Wild Magnolias, you know, Mardi Gras Indian funk band, mm, and they all came out for like a half an hour, 45-minute encore, during which I realized these guys all knew each other. They had grown up playing in high school marching bands throughout Louisiana, knew each other from those high school days, 
Uh, you, wait, well, you got a black Mardi Gras Indian band, and you've got these um, Cajun, you know, mu- musicians from South Louisiana, and it was like old home week. We had like literally twenty that musicians really on the fun. stage. It was really fun. It was so much fun. It was so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Terrence Simeon throwing beads to the crowd for, with his toes. With his while, toes, while yeah. playing the accordion. That, that was definitely the highlight. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And then they came over to our house afterwards, and, and the, you know, the, the Mardi Gras continued. It was just really, really fun. But, the, but New Orleans, I mean, New Orleans musicians were so much fun, and it was really heartening to see that, you know, we gave them jobs, we gave them work, but they were so enthusiastic, and they're just so down to earth and so wonderful so we really, gracious yeah. it really adopted us and we really loved it well it it did something really spiritual to this community too i mean you created the sister sister city I and mean, we we felt some of the same things you did you helped us i mean that's one of the things i think about summer of jazz is that i knew very little about jazz except the the traditional stuff before you guys came along and you 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 created community but you also quietly educated us as to a whole nother way of looking at the world i mean we were educating ourselves at the whole same time because we had no idea what was going on with these bands but it's so neat you know to this day i went last year i went to um being in the audience you'll be there and and the musicians would look out and they and they they're like it's you what are you doing here you know it's like so great they remember they welcome you they just you know you know, yeah. how's Bob? What's going on? How are the kids? What's happening in Glenwood? You know, it's just, it's really great. Yeah, Mary forged real unique bonds with virtually every musician that came. Cause, because I well, paid him. I she paid, paid him, him every night. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of nice when, you, when McCoy <laughs> Tyner comes up to you and goes, Mary, how are you doing? It's they like, oh my Mother God. Mary, yeah. Yeah, but uh, we were down, I guess, 2007, 2008, and there was a jazz fest, you know, celebration at Tipitina's, which is. A separate part of town altogether from where the jazz fest is, but it was spilled out onto the street. One of the bands was the Soul Rebels, who, you know, are just a really, really fun band. And but there were probably you know a thousand people in the street, and we we're sort of you know squeezing our way through the crowd trying to get up to the band. And uh, we get about fifteen feet away from the band stage, and it's dark outside for the most part. Light is on the band show, on the uh, band stage, and. Uh, one of the singers from um, Winston. in the middle of a song, Winston and uh, the Soul Rebels, he says, Oh, Colorado in the house, Glenwood Springs in the house, give it up for Miss Mary. You know? And everybody, you know, he's pointing to her and the band comes down. And it was really fun. It's just really, really well, fun. Because I took him up to the top of Red Mountain when he was here. Because he was sleeping in the, they had rooms in the Hotel Colorado that night, and it was so hot that he slept in the car. Yes, he was really hot, so he slept in the car. But we got up in the morning, and he wanted to go for a hike, so we hiked up to to the cross up on top of Red Mountain, and he he took pictures. And he years later, that was his screensaver yeah. on his phone was the view yeah. from the top of of Lookout Mountain or Red Mountain. I couldn't believe it; it was wonderful. It, yeah, it, it, it is really funny. funny. I mean, you take these guys and gals out of you know the urban environment, unique urban environment, which is New Orleans, and bring them to Glenwood Springs, Colorado. You know, it's six thousand feet. And they really felt, I mean, they were watching their back. They weren't sure where the bears and lions were going to come from. <laughs> you know, we had one band they were staying at the Ramada Inn. And after the show, they were going to the Ramada Inn and coming here. It, it was Shorty's band. Was it Was it Trombone Shorty? Yeah. In Orleans Avenue. And um, we said, listen, you know, you can walk 
from the Ramada to our house. It's not that far of a walk. And they looked at me, uh, 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 we're not going to walk. What, in the darkness with the bears? Are you kidding me? And they were serious. They were not joking. So we made arrangements for them to be driven from the Ramada to our house so they wouldn't have to brave the uh, the wilderness of downtown Glenwood Springs. Well, it was a give and take, definitely give and take. I mean, we... <laughs> We learned a lot from them, and they learned from us. It was pretty neat. It was very cool. It was very cool. It was very cool. But, I mean, every week something would happen. I mean, every week something, you know, some trauma would happen or, you know, the T-shirts are lost or something. You know, something. there was always something that happened, but it always seemed to come together in the end, and it was. It ended up very good. Yeah. I think uh, just the two of you, what you did with jazz over the 25 years is, is not unlike your paintings, Mary. I mean, I think you... You came right. to, you came to town, and and not that this wasn't a colorful town before, but you 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 and Bob made this town much more colorful and enriched our, all of our lives, the with the music, and the and the relationships that you brought. Well, thank you, thank you. It's, thank I mean, you, it's Walter. Like, thank you, Walter. It means a lot hearing you say that, because yeah. it's kind of thing that it just. We got so involved in it. It was like such a part of our lives. And it just was, we were almost rabid about it. We just got so crazy about it. We just. Yes, this improvisational jazz piece that you played for 25 years is is done. And you can step back and look at it. What are, what are some of the things, some of the words that you use? What did, when you think about, when you look at that piece of art that, that, that was the summer of jazz, what, what does that call up for you? Surprising. Enduring. Well, you started with this project to see if you couldn't get to know people in the neighborhood and maybe the community, and it turned out to be this yeah. national and international connection. Went a little overboard, yeah. a little overboard I think. Yeah. That's what we <laughs> always do go overboard well, with things. Yeah. That's kind of our personality. Well, all yeah. things in moderation, right? That's right. That's <laughs> Including moderation. Yeah. <laughs> Mary and Bob Noon are known for their moderation, but we do. We did have a good time. It was really fun, and it was a neat thing. You know, we never... We had a bunch of people work with us, and we had a board of directors for many years that so was good, and they worked with us, and it was just a really a fun thing. That was Mary and Bob Noon reflecting on the 25 years they spent producing the Summer of Jazz series in Glenwood Springs. Everyone's invited to a, an informal celebration of Mary's life. It's scheduled for Saturday, October 15th, 2022, from 3 to 5 p.m. at Mary's second home, the Two Rivers Band Show in Glenwood Springs. Rain or shine, summer of jazz rules will be in play. No glass, no pets. But for those of you who are inclined, please bring a dessert to help fortify Mary and her future travels. <laughs> 